Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness. Great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gable, and I am so excited to welcome my good friend, Christy Bells, to the Greatness Podcast. Welcome, Christy. Thanks, Gretchen. Good to see you, hear you. Yeah. Um, Christy is an amazing author, coach, TEDx curator, philanthropist, leader. um, And as I said, good friend, Christy and I have had the good fortune of knowing each other for the last, oh gosh, um, maybe getting close to two decades. I don't know quite how long it is. And and we share the fact that we're both from Kansas. So we are. we get, we girls from Kansas have to stick together. And true. Christy, I'm, I'm really thrilled to have you on the greatness podcast to talk about your new book. But before we get into that, I always like to ask our guests, what in your life happened that drove your passion for what you really care about today? What, what in your journey led you to be passionate about the things you're passionate about today? Oh my gosh. I love that you asked that question, and I wish I could land on just one. You know, growing up in Kansas, um, I was I was uh, born and raised in a family of uh, meager means. My my family were labor laborers. My mom worked at a bowling alley at night. My dad worked as a lineman for the power company, and so um, it was it was interesting growing up in my household. I write a lot about that in the book, and I think um, you know just coming from some trauma, some drama, some, you know, significant events in my life, in my young life, I really created a passion early on, recognizing that I had a ton of empathy and I could be really loving and supportive of other people when they were going through their stuff. Not always healthy when you're a kid do it, trying to do that, but I certainly had that those gifts um, and recognized that at a fairly young age. So my adult life has been really focused on service. You know, I have social work degrees. I have my BSW and my MSW. Um, so really the idea of service, this idea of um, helping people up when they fall down, right? When they're, when they're on the ground, I'm a big champion of like, give them a hand, get them back up. Come on, you know, because <laughs> I've had a few hands up in my day. So yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's so fascinating. I was at um, an international women's forum, which we also share that um, as well, Dine Around this week. And the question I was telling somebody about Edgar Schein being my coach and asking him for help back in February, um, trying to sort through some decisions in my life. And the question became around the table, when do you know how to ask for help? And and one of the women at the table said, I can't actually think of a time I've ever asked for help. <laughs> I thought in 45 years of career, and you are so great at helping um, people, Christy, and having empathy. And, and we all do need a hand up. Uh, you and I had the good fortune of doing our TEDx's together uh, for a women's TEDx program. And um, was that a little bit of the seed for this um, for this book? Tell us about what you talked about at the TEDx and how that kind of yeah. propelled you along your journey. Yeah, it definitely was the seed. So uh, that was 2016. It so happened that Daphna Michelson Janae, who was the founder of TEDx Cherry Creek Women um, here in Denver, um, had a license. And I was working with her as her coach at the time, and she was dealing with some pretty significant trauma. And so I was supporting her on her journey professionally. And I realized at the time that 
I had surrounded myself with both in my practice and in my life with these incredible women, women doing incredible things. And so I called a few over to my house one day and Doff and I were in the backyard and I said, so there's something bigger than us going on here. I just, and Daphna's like, well, I have a TED license. And I literally like head to the forehead. Oh my God, really? We're doing TED Talks. That's what we're doing. Um, and that's how it came to be that year that, um, and Daphna says, well, I will get the license if you'll talk. I'm like, nope, not doing it. Not speaking. Nope. <laughs> but I'll recruit all my friends, <laughs> all my really cool friends. And uh, I ended up talking that year. And my talk, so funny, I'm not, I don't know how you feel about your TED Talk, but I look back at mine, I think, oh, God, like I should have just picked one topic. And so out of my TED Talk, um, my first uh, ghostwriter, person who helped me by the name of Jesse Lassier, outlined my entire book based on my TED Talk. Mm. So, oh, God of Second Chances is based on the ideas I put forth in my, my title was The Illusion of Perfection. You know, even though it looks like I live a pretty perfect life on the t- on the top, you know, the top layer, um, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> down below that I deal with on the regular that I have dealt with that I've helped other people through. So, um, and so the book it's based outlined on mine, and then what I did is I chose eleven people that had done TED talks um, in the time that I've curated over the last seven years that had really significantly impacted me or somebody that I knew at a deep level that really fit into the themes of my book. And so it's been really fun to bring people along on the journey, including you, because you're in Mm -hmm. chapter 10, I think. (laughs) Isn't it interesting how similar our topics were? Because the book I wrote, Eight Steps to Being a Great Working Mom, I wrote it because somebody said, came to me when they were having their first child and said, oh my gosh, you're you're perfect as a mom and you're traveling for work and you've got it all together. Just tell me how to do it. And I thought and I said, oh my God, that's such a facade. Like I am one sick nanny day away from disaster. I am just barely hanging on by my fingertips. And I realized we were all looking at each other thinking that person's got it together. Why can't I get it together? Why am I, you know, they're they've got this beautiful shiny life on Facebook and everything. And And that's what you so deeply talk about in the book. Um, Oh, God of Second Chances. And I want to make sure that people know Christy Bell's Oh, God of Second Chances. I'm saying the title, right? Oh, God of Second Chances. And the next line is, here I am again. Here I am again. It could have been Oh, God of Second Chances. Here I am again for the 25,000th time, right? I'm here again. Um, And I say, I was having this conversation this morning with somebody, um, and we were talking about like choice points and every moment's a choice point to choose again. You know, are you going to get caught up in the drama? Are you going to get caught up in the story? Are you going to get caught up in your anxiety? Are you going to get caught up in too much to do on your to-do list? I mean, all the things that happen for us on a day-to-day basis, right? If my book's really about the tools and techniques um, supported by stories to help us get more present, get us more centered in our lives and get us more in a place of actually being in our lives instead of doing, 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 doing. So being the human beings instead of the human doer. Mm, The human being instead of the human doer. I love that phrase. So obviously I'm going to recommend to all our listeners that they go out and buy your book, but let's talk about some of the, the highlights. If you, if you only had 15 minutes with somebody to talk about how are we a human being versus a human doer, what are some of the insights you share in the book? It's mm, a really good question, Gretchen. So um, I have 25 plus years of 
social work, spiritual practice, um, avid learning. You know, my bookshelf behind me is just a plethora of all sorts of books. And it's really my passion to study and learn. And so when I when I decided to step into writing the book, I wanted it to be a vulnerable book. I wanted it to be about me sharing authentically who I am um, and what has happened in my life in a way that um, other people could relate to. Because I mm-hmm. think we all want to act like we're that pretty shiny thing out there. And the reality is, is not one of us doesn't have a few bumps and bruises and scars and et cetera on the uh, on the other levels, no matter what it appears like on the surface. So the book is really a combination, again, of sharing that vulnerable story of, um, you know, I start with courage because it took a lot of courage to write this book. It took a lot of courage to step out of my comfort zone of being like, just okay where I am. Don't really need to like stick my toe out too far. Right. Um, but I felt like I had so many gifts and learnings and, and every single thing I teach in this book is something that I have done for myself. So I'm not somebody that stands on the pulpit and teaches there. Like I've been in the trenches. I have lived the dirt. I have like got down in the muck and had to get myself out of it. Right. So it's really every chapter has tools and techniques based on what it is that I um, have used in my practice and how I've supported other women, primarily women throughout my career. Um, And I think the journey of collaboration, you know, really bringing other people into the work to me was really important because, you know, we women, I feel like we as a culture in a society right now, I think women are going to change the world. And I think that that is going to have to shift in some of the paradigms in the ways in which we operate, which means, you know, we can't compete and compare anymore. We just can't, right? Mm -hmm. We've got to come alongside of each other and say, what do you need? How can I help? How can I help? I mean, you know, what's next? What do you need? Um, and I think that scope of, of collaboration, bringing people along, right, and, and doing that, particularly when you have the resources, the education that you and I have, the, well, almost the education you have, um, I, I just think it's so important that if we're going to lead in the world, however we do that, that we do that from the place of authenticity, bringing our gifts, being collaborative, um, yeah, and mm-hmm. serving. Serving's a, I have a whole chapter on service in my book. It's so interesting because during my PhD when I was studying leadership, and I'd kind of heard about it before, but this whole concept of servant leadership and serving those that you lead and you and I living living our authentic selves and being comfortable in our own skin to live our, our authentic selves and then really trying to be a better version. We, we share a friend, Sister Lydia. Yeah. And many years ago, gosh, back in 2005, I was walking around the Regis campus with her and she started talking about the word magis and how important the word magis was in her, in her life. And to uh, be a better version of yourself tomorrow than you are today uh, in service of God is how sister Lydia would say that. But just this concept that we are a work in process, we're a work in process for our entire lives. And as you said, this, this journey of learning and self-development that is, so exciting. I can't imagine ever getting to a point where I say I'm done with myself. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to your question of human doing and human being, you know, talking about Sister Lydia, you know, we are at the crux, what I believe, whole perfect, complete at the essence of our being. And and I, I'm a deeply spiritual person. I do a lot with my spiritual growth and I separate, separate out religion from spirituality because I really feel like 
when I was at KU undergrad, I was in the school of religion. And um, I just had this huge takeaway of like, you know, religion is so man-made. Like it's been manipulated throughout the centuries. Like, And spirituality is your relationship with your source. You know, if you call it God, great. If you call it spirit, great. Whatever you call it, right? That is a personal relationship and one that I really empower my clients and my readers to think about and to practice, you know, being mindful, you know, walking in nature, looking for heart-shaped leaves. You know, it's, if you just staying present is the key, right? Being present in our lives. That's mm-hmm. the human being versus mm-hmm. the, I got this to-do list. I have to think my way through this. I'm, you know, rah, 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 that doer <laughs> part of us. Yeah. And it's interesting. Something just popped into my mind, Christy. You and I were talking. We had the good fortune of celebrating your birthday with a trip together recently. And um, I was sharing that I feel like I still have a little bit of post-traumatic stress syndrome from the lockdowns here in Melbourne, 240 days of uh, being locked in a high rise uh, apartment where I could only get out for an hour a day and had to be exercising. Um, We were talking about that at dinner, how the police helicopters were cruising up and down the beaches and giving people tickets for sitting on the beach and things. And, I think sometimes we um, our coping mechanisms in society, in society go to things that numb us, whether that's, you know, whether that's alcohol, whether that's video games. It's just this, I'm just going to tune out, which is the, and I'm not saying we shouldn't tune out. I'm totally addicted to the Great British Baking Show, which I'm watching now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I do need time where I just shut my brain. You know, I just want to watch a, a baking show. Um, but but other things that help us, meditation, exercise, versus the things that that take us away from being present. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, nature, you know, there's all sorts of types of meditation. And people get really stuck in the idea that it has to be, you know, on a pillow with your lotus position, your fingers in, you know, a certain position and your legs crossed. And, you know, my greatest meditations come walking my dog around the block every day, you know, like in the beauty of the fall leaves and just watching of the, the leaves start to flutter down or just being in awe of the color and the beautiful, you know, the beautiful um, aesthetics that nature provides right now. I just posted something on Facebook that says fall, um, actually allows us to embrace the idea of change because mm-hmm. we resist change. So, so we, we resist change that we're conditioned to do that. And fall is really an opportunity to remember that change isn't always that bad. Right. So I find nature to be incredibly um, spiritual and powerful. Um, you know, I do have a sitting meditation, which I really appreciate. You know, I just, even if it's for five minutes, just to sit still, and a focus on my breath. I find that incredibly powerful. I start almost every group now that I do, whether it's at a retreat or if I'm speaking, I always start with permission to pause and I give everybody permission to pause. And we need that. I needed to hear that one day. Oh, permission to pause. Mm-hmm. Like take a breath, Christy, chill out, like relax for a moment before you dive in. Mm-hmm. So I find permission to pause incredibly powerful too. And that's like a, you know, 10 second remembering you know, a moment. That's all it is. Yeah. It's and that breathing thing. Just to remember, I'll, I'll be standing in line waiting for a plane or something and realize that I'm really not breathing very well. Right. But, um, 
not taking deep breaths, not, um, and, and this, um, there, I was just talking about this other book in a first time leaders program, the patient will see you now by Eric Topol, which is a really great book about disruption in healthcare. But what, what the main thing I got out of the book that he talks about in the beginning is that technology and the advancement of technology is outstripping our capacity as human beings. We are bombarded every day. We are, um, I asked people in this group this week, first time leaders, how many of you check your emails more than 10 times a day and everybody raised their hand. And so we really talked about um, what would it mean to shut your outlook off for an hour? Oh my gosh, I couldn't. And I'm like, really, you can't shut your outlook if you have something important to think about or write about, or um, how, why can't we shut our outlook off for an hour? I, I'm, I, I'm meeting with them again in two weeks. I'm going to see how many of them had the courage to shut their outlook off for an hour. For an but, hour, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think that's contributing to this. Yeah. yeah. Um, Christy, let's pick a chapter. Let, let's pick a chapter. Not the chapter I'm in. Please don't pick the chapter okay. I'm in. We're not here to talk about me. But um, let's just pick one of the chapters and dive a little bit more deeply into the concepts so people understand how the how the book is structured. It is really an amazing book. I've I've enjoyed reading it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so as I said, it's really um, it's an outline of the concepts and ideas that I put together in my talk. So I start with courage. I have a chapter on heart vulnerability. I think is really important this idea of remembering. So this might also go back to a spiritual practice because there's this idea that I firmly believe in that we remember and forget, right? Mm -hmm. We come in and we basically get the spiritual amnesia until we start to fully start to develop. And I joke, I think I'm funny. I don't know if everybody else thinks I'm funny, but I think I'm hilarious at times. And I call it the cosmic two by four. God gives us about 40 to 50 years to figure it out. Like to start to wake up, to really remember. And if we don't, then we start getting those two by fours, also called midlife crises or divorce or, you know, I mean, it hits the fan sometimes. And we really get these opportunities to go, oh, wait, there's something else going on here. So that's remembering and forgetting. Um, I think if I could share anything with your audience, I would love to do just a quick reading on Courage, which is how I started the book. Would you be okay be with that reading? Absolutely. So the book began with courage, the courage to write it, the courage to tell my story, the courage to write boldly and bravely about being scared, scared of uncertainty, scared to be vulnerable, scared of violence. I've been afraid of the unknown, of being judged, of being made a fool. I feared that I did not and could not fit in, was not smart enough, good enough, or pretty enough. And although I still feel scared at times, I know now that living from a place of fear has not, does not, and will not serve me. All it does is keep me believing that I am seemingly safe and feeling small. Mm, That's beautiful, Christy. And you mentioned that you have a chapter on vulnerability. Yes. As we have a little bit of time left here. I I think it's a word that's becoming more popular to talk about, but I'm not sure people really understand what it means to be vulnerable. And I think it's such a powerful gift that you give your your friends, your coworkers, those you lead. Um, talk to us a little bit about your insights on understanding and being vulnerable. 
Well, I'm a huge proponent, um, advocate of Brene Brown's work on vulnerability. She's the one, she's a social worker and because I'm degreed in social work as well. I really picked on up on her work early on in her research. And so I really valued what she, she brought to the table. And, you know, when she talks about vulnerability, she, you know, it's not about sharing yourself with the whole world and just like laying it all out there. You know, she has this beautiful analogy of the arena and you have to be willing to get into the arena. Um, to let that vulnerability show. And you have to be really selective about who you do it with. I am very blessed with so many wonderful friends for a lifetime, right? But I, I think that being who I am authentically um, is my vulnerability. It is my, and it's the way that I show up in the world that allows other people to express their vulnerability, to let their guard down, to let them you know, and, and, and so I'm not afraid of vulnerability. I'm not afraid of sharing my stories. I'm not afraid of, and maybe it's because I've just done so much effing work on it. You know, I just mm-hmm. have spent my lifetime healing the wounds and trying to serve from those places and stepping more fully into that courageous, authentic part of me that wants to be in the world and wants to make a difference. And I wouldn't be able to do what I do, how I do it. I wouldn't have been able to write this book without vulnerability. It's a superpower. And it takes exercise. You know, it takes like going to the gym. Like you run every day. Like you got to run the vulnerability skill. <laughs> you got to practice it because it doesn't it doesn't feel comfortable at first. Yeah. It's interesting. When I, when I stepped down as president of Continuum Advisory Group to move to Australia and the young woman that stepped into my shoes, my parting words were to her were, remember, you don't have to have all the answers. You just need to know what the questions are and find the right people to help you answer that. You know, it's not about, it's it's not about being the smartest person in the room. I think that's a, that's a critical thing that we all learn through life, right? We think when we're young, we're supposed to have all the answers. And then we realize it's about having the right questions. Yeah, it's really good. Well, I could, Christy, I mean, I could talk to you for hours about this and your insights. And I love how you structured the book through your own vulnerability of telling your own story and then linking those into other people that have inspired you. I think that's a a, a really, um, a really effective way of sharing the messages in this book. I encourage everyone out there, oh God of second chances to go out and um, buy your book. One last tip. We have all kinds of people that listen to this podcast, Uh, my clients, my uh, students in the MBA programs I teach in, um, all kinds of different people. What what one tip would you love to leave them with as they think about how they go out in the world and lead as a formal or informal leader and um, be their authentic selves? Another really good question. I do a, a lot of leadership development with leaders all over as well. And um, I think, I believe that you have to be really clear about what your values are. You have to really know what your values are and you have to be willing to stand for those values in the face of adversity and conflict, you know, like particularly in this divisive place in our world, right? What are your values? My values are love. My values are connection. My values are collaboration. So I look for those places to make a difference. Like, where's my peace and how does that fit in in any particular situation? And knowing your values and espousing them and then being willing to stand for those values, even in difficult times, I is my personal belief, is um, what makes terrific leaders terrific. Mm, I, can't, I couldn't think of a more perfect thing to end with, Christy. 
Thank you so much for carving time out of your busy schedule. I know you've got lots of um, book launches and book signings and things going on. I know it's going to be a huge success. Thank you. I am grateful to have you as a friend and admire you and best of luck with the book. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gretchen. Love you. Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you.